to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to resiliency, business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, crisis communications, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, as always, if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest, please feel free, send me an email. On the webpage for the show, there is a button underneath the graphic. Uh, I forget the wording, but uh, it does allow you to send me an email um, with your idea. And I do respond to all emails, and we'll see about finding someone to talk about your topic, or we'll set up a time and uh, put an agenda together and get you on the show. We do have some advertising and sponsorship uh opportunities available. Uh, If you have any questions about that, you can also send me an email the same way, and we'll get you some information about that. And I want to thank everybody at boastassessment.com, that's B-O-A-S-T assessment.com, who are helping us be here today. They have a product where you can do your own little self-assessment and uh, manage your resources and keep people focused in the right areas and find the gaps in your programs. So thanks, everyone, at boastassessment.com. Long-time listeners, you'll know, or even if it's just been the last couple of months, you'll know that we did a live broadcast a September 30th, I believe the day was, at the recent DRJ conference in Phoenix, Arizona this year. And just like we did the year before, we had uh, about 12 to 14-minute segments where we talked to all kinds of people, uh, vendors, uh, speakers, uh, people that were just passing by. You know, different organizations who came on and just talked about different subjects or something they they were speaking on. Today's guest uh, was actually one of those people who did stop by. And from uh, talking with my executive producer, uh, she tried to get uh, this guest on on our first live broadcast, but was uh, not not as successful. So I'm really happy to have uh, today's guest, someone who's been in the industry, um, I'll just say a couple of years but has a lot of knowledge and experience that when I spoke to her uh, for the 12 to 14 minute segment that I did have her on the live broadcast, I knew had so much more to share and I'm really honored to have her here today. And I'd like to welcome to the show, Anne Pickering. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for uh, that great uh, background and introduction. And I will say, um, you mentioned that I dropped by uh, at DRJ, and I will tell you, your executive producer came and drug me out of our booth at the conference (laughs) to come spend some time with you. And you know what? It was a great pleasure. So thank you for extending the invitation again. And I actually am looking forward to the conversation. Ah, me too. And uh, I guess I should thank uh, Dee, my executive producer, who will hopefully be listening at some point, for dragging you out of the booth <laughs> and bringing you by <laughs> <artists>. <laughs> Well, before we get started, I know a, a lot of people 
you know, may know who you are, but because we've got listeners literally around the globe and in dozens of countries, could you give us a little bit of background on yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, sure I will. And I would imagine there are a lot of people who do not know much about me, So, uh, although I've been in the industry for a while. So let me start with what I do today, and then we can back in a little bit to my experience. And Alex, you will have to um, stop me when we think we've shared enough, because it's a little more than two years of experience. So uh, it's (laughs) kind of an interesting path that I've taken to come to where I am today. So, first of all, today, what I am, what am I in my current role? And I am president of a company called OnSolve, and OnSolve is a leader in the mass notification and communication uh, industry, focused on messages that matter most to our customers. And that's a very critical point for me—not just emergency, but anything that matters in terms of a communication. So, um, how did I get to this point in my career, uh, my background, as you ask, is kind of uh, diversified across technology uh, from the point that I came out of college. I went into application development and management over IT environments, uh, primarily healthcare manufacturing. And uh, like many people, I decided that I would jump to the vendor side, that that would be far more intriguing. And I've spent the last, um, well, we'll say 25 years plus on the vendor side, first in technology and technology um, integrations and uh, business process re-engineering, which is a very important part of my background, at a technology company called Wang Laboratories. And then in 92, I joined Comdisco as a part of their Business Continuity or Disaster Recovery Consulting, as those days was uh, primarily known for disaster recovery and then over into the business continuity space. And I stayed there for almost 10 years and in which I grew through the regional role into a headquarters role for business continuity consulting and software. And in 2002, we were acquired by SunGuard, so I... I rolled directly into SunGuard and stayed there through 2008. So that represented, uh, you know, 16 or 17 years of experience in business continuity consulting and software products that we need in the industry. So since 2008, uh, I've spent my time really focused uh, on two key things. First of all, uh, consulting a bit around uh, methodology and maturity assessment models and sitting on uh, committees that defined uh, business continuity <clears throat> maturity models. And then I found my way uh, back to a partner that I had at SunGuard, and that was a company called Mir3. <clears throat> and uh, I've been with Mir3 and then to OnSol for the last um, eight plus years. So that's kind of a quick tour through my years of experience. Well, I, see, I knew you had lots of experience, more than two years. I, I just you know, didn't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one who can say that it's 25 plus. No. Exactly. See, that's why I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> Well, I've got some questions that I want to ask you, you know, to uh, uh, jump on some of that experience and knowledge that you've got. And 
I'm wondering, you know, with the you've seen so much because obviously you just said you you have been around for a while. What what in your mind? Uh, and by the way, I'm just going to ask in random order here. I know we had a set agenda, but you know, I'll just ask whatever comes to to mind first. Is in in today's business continuity or disaster planning or organizational resiliency, whatever word you want to use, what do you see as our biggest challenge right now? Wow, that's a tough. Do I only get one? <laughs> you can you can talk as long and about as many as you want. <laughs> you know, I think one of the main ones I'm seeing that is really driving us quite a bit is around some of the issues in risk and security. And I'll focus on security as one of those developing, whether it's cyber risk or whether it's physical security risk. And that kind of rolls in a little bit around duty of care um, at a board level. But it really is how are we protecting um, our assets, both our uh, people, our customers, our supply chain, and in our facilities from these new emerging risks. And I think that security issues, uh, as I said, cyber or physical, are driving far more focus from the board down into the critical components of resiliency. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, you, may, you mentioned the, um, uh, the risk, risk component with, and things coming down from the board. Now, from my experience, there's always been a, a, you know, a big focus on risk management. Do you think that cyber is now bringing the business continuity disaster teams, information security teams, in more in alignment with risk rather than risk always focusing on financial type stuff? Absolutely, Alex. And I, you know, I've I've seen it coming along the way for many years. And I think that the financial risk is obviously something that boards worry about and deal with. But with the um, impact that um, a security event, and specifically a cybersecurity event, can have on an organization, it can be driven into, obviously, the impact on those financial risks, but it has a, a far broader uh, component of uh, risk along the way. So what it's doing is it's merging the security professionals together. So uh, previously I've seen there was physical security and maybe cyber security and uh, obviously in and around the um, IT or information technology world. And now I'm seeing uh, individuals that oversee both physical and cyber within large organizations or small organizations as well as you would typically. And that is driving a lot of joint uh, work around what are those key things that impact our facilities and those become, they are risks that we have to mitigate. So Mm -hmm. it's pulling the um, global security teams together with the risk management or risk teams to assess and understand, to acknowledge, and then uh, build plans around those together. So I think that's a very, very important direction when you think of it's not the business continuity uh, person sitting by themselves trying to bring focus on their program. The business continuity professional becomes a critical part 
of that team to address those events should anything happen uh, around any of those events. So they don't necessarily have to solve the the actual cybersecurity uh, penetration or event that occurs, but it has a downstream impact to the business that must be addressed by those professionals. So it's bringing everyone uh, to a seat at the table, as we would say, very much focused around some of these emerging events. That that's an interesting point you mentioned about the BCM um, facilitator or, or or person. Does that mean the the role of business continuity management or the disaster recovery planner? You know, different people use different terms. Does that mean they're becoming, um, or their role is expanding to be more of a bridge to pull all these groups together to make sure they're working together rather than a silo? And you know, Alex and. Some cases, maybe so, but what I see more is that there's a realization. It's often driven by the risk team or the security team that um, it, it becomes this joint effort and where the business continuity professional needs to push is to make sure that they define the um, the value of having a seat at that table and being able to kind of bring the realization because a lot of people will will stop the discussion around cyber or security events uh, before it gets to the business continuity professional. And I think that that is something that is changing and we as professionals can help change it as we think about how do we how do we kind of push our way into those seats at the table? I don't think uh, your question was, are we, we as professionals driving it to bring those to the table? I don't see that as much as I see us uh, finding our way to that table as part of that team. So, well, then you bring up another important question. How do you, what, how do you recommend that we get to that table? Mm, great question. You know what, and I think the answer to that is that, first of all, you have to ask, and you have to demonstrate why and where, so it's almost before you go ask, you need to make sure you have your kind of pitch line in place as to why that's important, but um, it really can be driven from either one of those participants, be it security or risk, but more importantly, to talk about how when an event hits a company, there are specialists that are going to look to resolve those issues. And at the same time, there are professionals like us as business continuity professionals who bring great skills to the table in terms of coordination, project management. We know a company across all the functional areas because of our work in resilience and helping them plan for operational issues of of resilience that we need to plan for those events. And so we have a knowledge of a company and how their business flows end-to-end more so than possibly anyone um, else in an organization. And I think that's extremely important to understand and to demonstrate the value of what we bring sitting at the table. Um, Alex, I'm reminded of a customer, and I won't say who it was, that I was consulting (laughs) with many years ago. Not many, but a few years ago. And we were walking our way through 
a, a somewhat unplanned executive crisis management exercise. And as we went through that exercise, the business continuity team had stepped back away from the table, and and I was kind of uh, kind of on the side monitoring what was going on. And all of a sudden, they had a question they themselves could not answer. And that is when they turned actually to me, um, because I'd been helping them build this program, and asked me the question, and I deferred it uh, specifically over to the business continuity team, because they were the ones who had the answer in the critical paths on a couple of processes and and how those needed to be synchronized for recovery across functional groups. And mm-hmm. I, that just brought home to me the reality that even as executives sitting in the room, they had to stop and raise their hand and ask for help from that uh, business continuity team to help them take the right actions for uh, the simulated event that we were going through. So it, it says we can be of extreme value as a consultant if, um, and we talked about having a seat at the table when you're talking risk and security, but when you're talking about uh, executive crisis uh, teams or crisis management teams at a functional level, we have or should have uh, a kind of an advisory role at that table, at least, that helps us guide them through some of the knowledge components they need to make those critical decisions about each of their functional areas, be it um, HR, finance, uh, you know, operational areas, etc. So do we need to do, uh, let's say we, we're, we've been with an organization for a while, we're not at the table. Do we need to do some homework before we we try to get at that table, you know, to, to show some sort of value, like this is what we can offer, this is why we believe we should be at the table? Um, homework is good. You know what I think it is? I think it's homework, but I think it's network. I mm-hmm. think we have to mm-hmm. find a way to work ourselves through the organization and in such a way that... We have already demonstrated value before we ever encourage or ask for that seat in that room. Maybe not at that table, but in that room. And in most cases across organizations that are of substantial size, that won't be at the executive crisis management team, but that will be at that functional um, incident or uh, crisis management group that uh, you have that seat uh, as a sidebar to Mm -hmm. just advise and keep them um, appraised of where their their decisions might not fit in the overall process. So the big issue is networking and finding value. I was actually at a one of our customer sites today and I found it interesting as we were walking uh to the meeting and the the number of people that said hello or mentioned something to our host as she was taking us back uh, towards the meeting. And many of them were like, oh, I owe you something. I know. I haven't forgotten. I'll do this. Or And it was just, uh, I was just uh, amazed with the networking that she has built across that organization because that's how you gain um, 
you know, access, how you gain the value of collaboration in those environments. So be it up to the execs or out across your peers in the organization, networking is something that we don't put it in our methodology. We don't talk about it when we train and we go through certification programs. We forget that that's an inherent skill that we have to exercise and we have to be aware of what we can do and how we can build that um, position and reputation in our organization. Oh, well, thanks for that answer. That's really good. Um, we have come to the end of our first segment. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. And today we're talking with Ann Pickren. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Ann Pickren. And we had a great first segment, lots of uh, information in there uh, from your experience. Now, I'm going to challenge you again with another question. What do you think the industry is lacking? And by that, I mean, we've been changing over the years. When I started, it was just, it was disaster planning. Then it was business continuity. And now we're into resiliency. Where do you see things going in the future? Or where would you like to see things go in the future? Uh, wow, Alex, that's a great question because uh, I'm I'm shocked to see it move as much as it has in uh, the you know 25 plus years that I've been here to see look backwards. But if I look at 
where the industry needs to go. I think that the skills that we need to recruit to and the, the individuals that we train with, with all the many different um, higher educational facilities that are beginning to offer crisis management or um, emergency management, resiliency programs, whatever they're doing. And these um, graduate and undergraduate classes, I think we need to uh, really focus on a couple of key soft skills that individuals need. And those would be both the ability to... uh, Business process reengineering inside of uh, an organization. I actually I mentioned that in my background in the first segment that I thought the time I spent uh, with all the training I had in business process reengineering and then using it to define how you could leverage technology, but how it actually changed the business process. And you couldn't just push technology in without changing. Also applies to what we're doing with business continuity, that often you discover gaps or um, issues that would develop because of certain uh, manual or certain processes within a business. So we have to have the skill and learn to use the skill around business process reengineering and also our ability to communicate and uh, focus on our executives as our critical communication path. So, so I think it's two soft skills, networking and communication, um, up and across an organization. And the second thing, I think, is uh, more tools. And we've got so many, I know you'll be surprised that I would say that, so many things with <laughs> business continuity program management tools and notification tools, but I think what we need are um, really the uh, incorporation of um, AI or artificial intelligence tools into our diagnosis of risk and mitigation and developing throughout our program. So I'm looking to see with the mass amount of data that we're now capturing across what we do in an organization from process flows to risk and, um, you know, threats that we have and mitigating those, all that data has to come back and we need to look at it from an AI perspective to allow us to make better decisions and respond quicker. Now, that's you mentioned a couple of different skills, so I'm going to start with one. Uh, because you mentioned it in the first segment. Then I'm going to jump back to the AI piece again. Uh, uh-huh. In the first segment, you mentioned project uh, and program management. How do you see that adding value? Because myself, speaking for myself, I have a kind of a, a second career path where I work in project management, you know, program managers, program control, that kind of stuff. So, and I've, I'm, anyone listening on the show always knows I'm always touting this. You know, how do you see project management or program management assisting the uh, BCM or resilience professional? Well, I think all our projects are pretty complex projects when you think about what we have to do to run a program. And it's not, uh, it's not as simple as just sending out a Word document and telling people to fill it out and then asking them if they've tested. The ability to lead through a very structured process is very important. 
both when you're developing a program, but uh, more importantly than that, is, or equally important, I guess I should say, is that when that event occurs, people fall back to some very bad habits, and they are not as organized and structured as you would like. And mm-hmm. that is part of our role, as I said, that advisor, which we stop and say, wait, we have a process here. We worked it out. We tested it. We knew. Let's not deviate. Let's evaluate and see where we might be a little off and adjust. But our role becomes that of leading people through a structured process as best we can. Now, I realize that we get a bad rap sometimes for being too structured, and and we have to watch that, and we have to be able to know when flexibility is necessary, but it's also to be able to be that uh, sound and solid manager of a plan that uh, allows us to take that experience from project management and apply it into those uh, times when adrenaline is flowing and people aren't necessarily thinking what they planned for or what uh, what they were going to do. It becomes a by the seat of your pants, and that's that's where we can step in with those skills to help. That, that's interesting that you mentioned that. See, we're going off script again. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the... In a, in a real situation, do you see the BCM person as kind of the, uh, the lead in, uh, of the, the situation or more of the advisor, you know, to help out when and where needed? Because I was told years ago, and it, as you were talking, I, I thought of this, that in a real situation, the BCM program person should be able to stand back. Mm-hmm. What, are your, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? I definitely stand back because you become the advisor and the one to say, um, let me, you know, call a time out here and get you guys back on track. But mm-hmm. our job, if you think about a business recovery environment, and we'll talk about that for a moment, the people who know how to recover are the ones who run that business day in and day out. So mm-hmm. your job is to help prepare them, give them some pre-planning and guidance and in terms of, you know, generically, what am I going to do and what are my strategies? Uh, and I think that's so important, important for us to think about. We should be uh, the person there kind of coaching them along when needed and helping them, being there to, as, as I said earlier, you know, raise a hand, call a timeout, and, and turn to the business continuity team and say, why did we decide to do it this way? And you, you or we often have more knowledge to kind of help them think through that uh, in terms of strategy. So um, I'll tell a real quick story that, that sure. I thought interesting. I uh, stepped in to do a business continuity program for a small uh, broadcasting, local uh, broadcasting TV station. And I thought the most intense component of everything we did was strategy. Beyond that, plans were very simple. If you knew the strategy for each of the key functions in that um, company and you had a strategy, the rest was easy to manage through. So their plans were simple, but you had to keep them on target in their strategy so they didn't vary when things happened. Oh, that... that. (laughs) That reminds me of project management right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep there we go up. again, right? 
Yeah, stick to scope. This is what you're doing. <laughs> well, now I want to jump back to um, you had a couple of comments about uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and having that uh, coming into the industry and being leveraged. Do you think that AI is uh, better suited for our planning and uh, analysis um, aspects, or do you see it used more in a real situation, or both? I think we can learn from real situations or tasks, either one. But I think the value that we have is when we plan, and uh, the same thing applies to to. OnSolve and what we do or when people utilize our product, they decide, I want to send a notification and here's my message and I am going to ask for a response, so be it in our tool or not. But after the event, there's so much information that if you could mine that data, so in other words, during an actual test or event, what if you tracked the steps that were uh, more complex, that needed further clarification, that you actually skipped through the process, but some way to know that, then coming out of that um, hot wash after that event, you can streamline your process. And, And when I apply that to what we do, one of the theories I have is, wouldn't, oh, I shouldn't say I, let us say we on solve, is that uh, when we look at the content of a message, are there key words that create a trend across a, a large number of messages or notifications that result in better response and uh, from those endpoint contacts? And we believe you're probably going to see there is some correlation there between keywords that are used or not used in a message and how those responses are crafted and thus the adoption from your um, audience. And those are the value points. So to answer you, it's it's more after a test, but it's after more than once. So it's an iterative process and you get the data and then see tools develop that allow us to analyze that and maybe get to the point that uh, we can almost build on the fly, given the event that occurs, the best set of tasks or actions that need to be monitored during an event. Now, it's interesting you said that because I was thinking that some of the principles you just gave about, you know, identifying um, things that need to change or keywords, you know, as you're going through an exercise or, or planning or analysis – those same principles you could actually use in a real situation to monitor uh, social media or or things like that Mm -hmm. to do the same kind of thing, right? Absolutely. So if you can do that, um, hopefully if you take uh, AI back uh, into the early process, maybe we're better at identifying developing risk before they are actually typically identified, but we see patterns of behavior, patterns of behavior of employees that, um, you know, whatever that data would be that we want to target to look at, I just think we're going to have to have AI tools that allow us to get smarter in terms of preventing these um, highly impactful events. 
Now, it's interesting you said that, you know, AI to help us get smarter because a lot of people think that the opposite is true. AI will be the smart one and we'll, we'll be the dumber one. <laughs> um, not yet. Not for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, maybe one day they'll teach us how to think. But uh, I think that that what I envision happening is that if we can be better at predictive and uh, and responsive to events, if we can be better at just knowing the right decision to make that those are still decisions that have to be done because many of these events when they strike are not things that are common to us. It is not business as usual when these things happen. And what would be interesting as well is, is the industry going to ever get to the point that you begin to share some in some way these predictive analytics across an industry or map to equivalent industry, peer size, whatever those are, that if we start sharing this data, we can aggregate it better over time. And that's a whole world that I think is sitting out there uh, kind of in a cloud somewhere that we have not really gotten to that point. Do you think there's a danger that um, people may rely on AI to make those decisions? Because that kind of happens now. Well, this is what, you know, X application tells us, so this is what we're going to do. Do you think there's right. a danger of that, or we're not there yet? Um, ultimately, I think you'll have to know when you want that human intervention piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want... Uh, there's certain things that are very definitive, <clears throat> such as... Uh, you can automate certain messages out of our platform because there are certain triggers you know are sending that first notification. But at the same time, we also offer the, the advantage that even if that message is triggered automatically, it you can route it to someone who must approve that message before it goes out. So uh, I think that's what you want to do when you think about um, the incremental use of technology to automate some of these decisions is that it would be more of a prompt. This is a recommendation. Uh, Acknowledge and let's move forward. So... Yeah, you know, I dare say, as I've grown up in the world of technology, um, I cannot even imagine what the possibilities are when you think of um, the Internet of Things and everything we've put in place. But I think our first step is to use it to give us information, and ultimately we make that decision, unless it's just very point-blank clear as can be. Right. And on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we are talking with Ann Pickering. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea. 
to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Ann Pickering. And in the second segment, you mentioned something that caught my ear, uh, lessons learned. I'm a, uh, and I, maybe it's the project manager in me, the, I'm a big uh, lessons learned kind of person. What suggestions do you have for individuals, organizations, or communities um, with regards to lessons learned when they experience you know, adversity or you know, interruptions? How should they manage that? How does something really become a lesson learned? Alex, I think that, you know, I've been frustrated by this a bit throughout my career. That, <laughs> that it, it is, whether we call it a hot wash, lessons learned, um, it, whatever we're going to call it at the end of any event or test that we do, we like to sit back and, and we want to go, um, I've always noted, maybe a little bit too high level, and the real value is in getting people to open up about, all right, when I was going through this test or when I was going through this event, it was really hard to make a decision at this particular point, and uh, I didn't have the data, etc. When we start trying to play nice when we come out of those events, because we've all been through it together and we've bonded as a team, and yet in reality, I think that we have to get down to where were, and maybe our questions we have to ask are a little bit different, which was, mm-hmm. where was it difficult to move forward? What created the issue? So I, I really think we have to learn how to ask questions differently in that aftermath or post-mortem, hot wash, whatever we call it, that allows us to get the perspective of where people felt that they were left without any support from making a decision or data that they needed. And then we have to really dig into how we make that better along the way. 
The other thing I think also comes back, Alex, is that uh, when I was involved for many, many years, and I, I go back to supporting, without even realizing what I was do- doing, supporting Hurricane Hugo, and then uh, Andrew, as it uh, came through uh, southern Florida, and then again and again and again through 20-plus years of supporting customers through major events, they always put communication as one of the um, hot buttons that did not work as well. And what it really became is you need to go deeper into understanding what didn't work about communication. Were we over-communicating? Why were we over-communicating and what caused that? Were we under-communicating? Was it timeliness of the messages? And then take action off of those because Every time I see someone just generally put down communication, it seems like the next event, it's back on the top of the list again because we didn't Mm -hmm. take action on it at a definitive um, way in which we could identify the specific problems and put in uh, solutions for that. Do you think sometimes with lessons learned, we we focus on the, the end result rather than the path to get there and that so we end up losing some of those learnings? Yeah, I think we forget about them. As I said, um, I think we, uh, when we live through a real event, uh, they're never fun, they're never pretty, and, and we bond through that, and we, we don't really want to bring out too much of the negative side. I recall one particular, um, actually an exercise we were going through, and we were going back through the lessons learned from that, and there was a hesitancy to actually say to the leadership in the room, which, and, and number one, I'm glad they were there and that they showed a commitment to be there. But what had really bothered everyone is that the executives had overridden their strategy and actually gone against their culture that they had um, in day-to-day operational environment. It's kind of an employees first kind of concept. And during this event, they felt the executives lost track of that or sight of that and began to make decisions contrary to that culture. And they didn't want to tell them that. And we pulled it out of them to say, and the executives were crushed by it. And you're right, they were. And it it was kind of a, a great moment of reality that came. But those were tough calls to make in that aftermath when you're looking at lessons learned to get down to that that very honest conversation. So when you've had these lessons learned sessions, what should we actually do with the information that comes out of it? I, I remember, uh, I guess a year or over a year ago, uh, I spoke with the author of the Lessons Learned Handbook, and he said a lessons learned without change is really just mm-hmm. a lesson observed. So what, what do you mm-hmm. suggest we do? Well, I was going to tell you, this is where your project management steps in. <laughs> because <laughs> it's not just talking about the issue, it's truly taking action on it. And who is the owner? Who owns reporting back to that group? And how are we going to hold them accountable? So it is uh, a concerted effort to, uh, as you say, take action and accountability, but then hold them accountable by coming back and um, validating that we went forward with and made adjustments uh, as we should have. So 
I always talk about people don't respect what you don't inspect. And I think it falls mm-hmm. through here that if you're going to take the time to identify a lesson learned, it has to have an owner and accountable uh, to a team of individuals to getting that done. And on that, I'm going to jump to a different topic altogether. Um, but thanks for that. I'm glad to to hear the lessons learned thing because I'm a big person on lessons learned and being open and honest is the only way you know a program or a plan or a person is going to grow. You know, you've got to be open and honest. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts on organizational resiliency because that seems to be a topic that's cropping up everywhere now and in different conferences, a lot of speakers on it. What are your thoughts on on resiliency? What do you see it as, and what do you not see it as? From uh, from my perspective, I think I would talk about resiliency as the ability to respond to anything, even unplanned. And we are never going to be able to plan for every type of event at a you know at a detail level. Uh, many years ago, we used to talk about situational response-based planning. So depending on the situation would depend on how you planned for that event. I think we, and, and I myself thought that might be an answer for taking us to a new place, but the reality is that when these events occur, everyone is different. Everyone is uh, kind of peppered with things that we've never necessarily dealt with or thought through. So I think it's most important that we as an organization build a a cross-functional degree of communication and responsibility that leads us to be um, resilient in the sense that we have a firm planning process. We have a very uh, sound group of individuals within the organization that are focused on this and all use a common um, approach. Let's not necessarily say methodology, but the way we look at events, the way we manage them, the way we communicate and all of those is what will create organizational resilience. And it's the ability to respond to the unknown and to leverage what we do and practice every day. Now, that's interesting because I'm going to take take us back to our first segment where uh, getting BCM or DR at the table, uh, you mentioned a common approach. Is that, um, you know, and we, we talked about the various teams, information security or cybersecurity facilities, all these groups. When they have incidents, a lot of them, and I've experienced it, and you probably have too, they all have their own way of doing things. Do you think this is a way... Uh, resiliency of bringing them all together to use a common approach rather than, you know, facilities does one thing if there's a facility incident. There's cybersecurity does something else if there's a cyber incident. Well, I I think they each have to have uh, a bit of autonomy in terms of managing Mm -hmm. their function that they have. But what we have to be able to do is collaborate and communicate across those functional boundaries. So when... Uh, when the cyber team is trying to solve, uh, you know, some type of event that has occurred, clearly they have their own approach, their own professional guidelines as to how they're going to manage that. But what we have to do is say um, across the group, how do we communicate and how do we status in that event and what's an acceptable 
means of cross-functional operational resilience. And I think that's true, you know, across each of the functional areas, that they each have their own, um, you know, kind of strategy, their own way in which they want to recover. They're not all taking um, action in the same timing and place. And I think that the whole foundational underpinnings of cross-functional collaboration and communication are very key to keep us in line together. I like that, the the keeping, you know, common common communications, even if they have their own way of doing things, because I've been in groups where, you know, they have had their own process and the communication wasn't there. So that's kind of why uh-huh. I was asking, and I, I think that's a, a great way of looking at it. Now, believe it or not, we only have three minutes left. <laughs> so uh, are, do you have any closing comments you'd like to say about the industry or, you know, your your own thoughts and things like that? Or? We'll give you an open phone. Here for- <laughs> All right, I'll take the next 30 minutes and we'll be back. <laughs> you know, I think, Alex, I, I hadn't put together, that was a question you didn't really prepare me for, but I would tell you that uh, I never thought when I picked technology that I would find myself becoming a certified uh, business continuity professional and uh, taking the path that I did. And I will tell you that the reason it was so important to me and I stayed in that industry is the value of working across an organization. You'll never have that opportunity in any other role that allows you to really understand everything about an an organization, a company, et cetera, and how those pieces put together. I love puzzles. And I love the challenge of driving efficiency through technology. So I will tell everyone that if you're in a role of a business continuity professional, then what you need to be is out and about across that company, uh, building bridges, building relationships, and really focused totally on um, showing value because of your knowledge and ability to help every one of them as you build a more resilient organization. That's great. I, you know, that's, it's interesting you said that because that's why I like it. I, I get to deal uh-huh. with so many different groups and people and learn from so many. Well, we've already, we, <clears throat> excuse me now, I'm losing my voice. We've come to the end of our show. And I want to thank you very much for all your uh, comments and input and uh, responses to questions. I know we didn't really stick to our script, but I think that's the best uh, kind of show there is. And I knew when I talked to you in DRJ that there was so much more in your head. I wanted to get out. And I'm glad you could share your time with us today. Well, thank you. And to everybody out there who's listening, again, if there's a topic you want us to talk about, Please feel free, send me an email. If you want to advertise or sponsor uh, anything on the show, please uh, get a hold of me the same way. Otherwise, thanks again, and thanks, everyone at Voice America. And in the meantime, everyone, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.